New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show's first Women's World Cup semi-final review. Spain have reached the World Cup final for the first time ever. In the style of Barcelona, they pulled a last-minute lever. The battle with Sweden was cagey and tight, but an 89th-minute winner was clinched on the night. Now La Roca are heading for a game of their lives in the heart of a nation, where they call that a knife. But England or Australia, who will the opponent be? Well, until tomorrow, we'll have to wait and see. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's very much knows the way around a game of knifey spoony, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Uh, I do indeed, my friend. That's That Simpsons episode reigns supreme in the pantheon of Simpsons episodes, their trip to Australia. They've taken many trips, but that one was my favorite. This game was not my favorite, but then it got very good at the end, so it redeemed itself a little bit. Yeah, I'd have called this game a Charles Wazer. Joining us also, our friend Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Is that the best Simpsons episode ever? There are a lot of good moments. There's the backwards toilet, there's the, the booting, there's the ordering of the coffee. Bear. <laughs> it's a great episode. Bay. It really is. Hey. Let's ask Joe. Joe's probably got some thoughts. I Joe have Larry, so hello. many thoughts on The Simpsons. Uh, I was just waiting for Ryan to throw me a Simpsons-related uh, question for the intro so I could answer it with real expertise, but I'll let you guys have your moment. I will, uh, for the record, say that uh, they call that you call that a knife. I think that's actually Crocodile Dundee originally, right? It's not just The Simpsons. So I, I may have lifted it from. No, it was what? The Simpsons. I lifted the it. The Simpsons being derivative of some <laughs> other cultural touch, touchstone. I, I've never heard yeah. of anything like that before. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I know. I know which which I've watched more. If it's that episode of The Simpsons or Crocodile Dundee, it's definitely the cartoon. Uh, Graham, um, watching this uh, semi final, uh, the BBC studio here in the UK finally moved their apparatus to Sydney, so they had the uh, backdrop uh, of the bridge and the harbour, which you couldn't see because the studio well, was you could, glass and reflected. And also it wasn't lit up. And it wasn't <laughs> lit up. Gabby Logan said at halftime that in, in Australia and Sydney they don't light up the Opera House and the bridge every night, yeah. so. That was really great planning by the BBC to move their studio to, uh, as you say, a glass box you couldn't see anything on the outside of. What you could see, Graham, was the reflection of the teleprompter for the entirety of the broadcast, yeah. which was unfortunate. So, and the mics um, were... It, was, it wasn't a great setup. It, yeah, glass box, David Blaine style. Yeah. Not, not ideal. <laughs> It was, a, it was a glass case of emotion for the BBC studio. So, Taylor, you can be lucky that the US broadcast spent so much lovely Fox money on that open-air studio, which I presume is just down the street from the BBC glass case of emotion. I do like to think of it similar to how all the commentary teams are right next to each other in the stadium, so occasionally you'll hear the other broadcasters screaming. I think in this tournament you've been able to hear the Spanish broadcasters and the Swedish broadcasters. I do hope it's the same thing for the different sets, how they're all like right next to each other, but you can't see them. One 
revelatory moment there. Is anyone else surprised that they have to use a teleprompter? Like, it makes sense. But at the same time, like, if you're sort of being thrown to commercial by the producer, I wouldn't think that you'd have to read a lot of prepared packages. And yet, now that I think of it, that has been a kind of staple of Fox's coverage. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but it's still... It's still a little strange to me because some of those moments haven't seemed scripted when they clearly are. I'm using a teleprompter right now. Everything that I say (laughs) on these shows is scripted. So Ryan does all my script writing for me. Thank you, Ryan. I I thought that's what we were all doing. Uh, He's got off script. He meant to say, I love you, Ryan, there. Joe, read better, please. (laughs) Sorry, my bad. Has has anyone actually read an autocue? Ryan, I feel like you you might have done that at some point. Very, very very difficult. I was useless at it. Did it twice, never again. It, it, it is a fairly difficult skill. The uh, hardest bit That's is Ryan's getting... go for saying it's easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just read words off the screen, Graham. That's all, that's all I do. But the see. thing is, it's, th- it's to do with the sentence structure, right? And you only get like two or three sentences at a time. So you don't know where the sentence is is, is going. So you don't Ooh. know how to finish your sentence. Like if you're going up at the end or what, you know, whether it's a question. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up doing that every single time when I had to do it. Yeah, uh, it can be unfortunate in, a, in that respect. Taylor, by the way, about studios being next to one, another i can't speak for australia but when i was in brazil for the world cup it was literally on the copacabana you'd have the british studio you'd have the dutch one next to it, you'd have the spanish one next to it then the fox one was there they were all in a line like they wanted the same view of the beach uh, yeah. so that was yeah. quite fascinating to which see. which like could be fun like i but but i get the sense that they're probably all in their own world during the course of the tournament but i would love it to be like if they were all just conforming to stereotype and and you got different aspects of the culture from different studio although the fox culture i'm not sure i need broadcast live to the world it uh it was interesting once the studio games were done uh there were like hotels across the street on a copacabana where every single former player would turn up and they'd all be in the same bar at the same time at the brazil world cup we're talking too much about world cups that were 10 years ago let's talk about a world cup that's happening right that's now shall we? there we go spain <laughs> two sweden one was the big result in the first semi-final spain through to their first women's world cup after a dramatic finish here in auckland new zealand it will substitute salma Pariello once again who scored late here spain's first shot on target in the 81st <laughs> minute this was her boy uh, rebecca blonkfist equalizing before captain olga caramona coming on and scoring the 89th minute winner this one graham was a tight and cagey game a lot of yeah. spanish possession a lot of dangerous swedish set pieces this one it felt like the journey was heading towards extra time and penalties didn't it but we got pulled back late on yeah, absolutely. I was convinced this match was going to a shootout um, to, to such an extent that towards the end of the game, I thought, could I go downstairs to the kitchen and yep. make my breakfast and then come back and nothing will have really happened? I'm glad I didn't do that. I certainly didn't see the chaos bomb in the final 10 minutes coming in this match, to be honest. For 70 minutes, I thought both teams were pretty unconvincing and we can unpick what the two teams were doing in those 70 minutes a little bit later on but in terms of the the pattern of the match it was what we expected it to be right Spain controlled a lot of possession Sweden sat deep and made themselves difficult to break down then both teams sort of gambled with their changes in the final phase of, of the match and that created the madness that we ended up seeing I do think the better team. Uh, I'm a little bit conflicted yep. on this thought, but I think the yep. I think the better team went through from from this match. But I don't think this was a statement performance by Spain or anything like that. Their ability to control always gives them a chance. But had Sweden executed just a little bit better, they they likely would have been the ones in the final because the margins in this game were very narrow. Yeah, this game was a bit 
Like the best analogy I can draw is like if you ordered a lift and then you're waiting and it keeps taking longer than they said it will and it keeps taking longer right when you're about to cancel, like four lifts show up at the same time all to pick you up. Because uh, a lot happened in those final minutes in the final what? Eight minutes, we get three goals. But before that, I, I did not find this a particularly compelling game, as I already said. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way it played out. Uh, and not even from a Sweden being defensive or the game being overly physical. That's kind of what I expected. I think I expected more precision from Spain. I think I expected Spain to ask more questions of that Swedish defense and then for Sweden to be more effective on the counter. And that was sort of the matchup that I was expecting. And instead, I think both teams were aware of the monumental occasion. For Sweden, this is an opportunity not to play in another third place game. For Spain, it's an opportunity to make the World Cup final for the first time. And so so I think we saw more nerves. We saw more heavy touches. We saw, saw more balls kind of put out of bounds or cleared way down the line instead of trying to retain possession. Spain, I think, did a better job of that as the game went on. But it really wasn't only until those final minutes and some of the changes that happened that this game came to life and was more so the spectacle yeah. I was hoping it would be. I thought a good portion of, of Sweden's performance sh- showed how you can control a game without the ball. So obviously Spain had more of the ball, that's what they do, and they did start to turn the screw a little bit more in, in the second half, but the first half was a really good example of this, where Spain had 67% of possession, but it did feel like they were playing on Sweden's terms in this match. They were very difficult to break down Sweden. It took Sweden until something like the 30th minute to have a touch of the ball inside the opposition box, which tells you a lot. Spain were being restricted to crosses, which is obviously something that they do. But that, that was no problem for Sweden with their height and the number that numbers that they were getting back into the box. And also, Spain just weren't able to get bodies into that area to match up against the Swedish bodies. And if you start Esther Gonzalez... Um, and you get her in there and you have runners um, crashing the box to attack crosses, then maybe you have a ball game. But that didn't happen. And so Sweden were, were, were really, really comfortable, I thought. In theory, the Swedish approach, I thought, should have created more space for them on the counter. And there were a couple of promising moments. But this is where their game plan fell down, at least in the first 60 to 70 minutes. Their, their, their attacks kept on breaking down at the most important times. So there was a couple of times when Blackstenius could have taken on a defender one on one, in a one-on-one situation. She could have played a quicker pass in behind. The first, the first bit was pretty effective. They were doing a decent job of, of picking off Spain with, with quick turnovers. Blackstenius and Aslani, I thought, were effective in as the first half went on in hassling uh, Abalera in the centre of, of, the, of the pitch for Spain and that then stopped Spain's supply line in, in, in some crucial moments and stopped them from turning possession into kind of dominance I guess but for Sweden the next bit of their game plan was was lacking yeah. and I'd imagine, I'd imagine that's where there is some regret for them. This game feels like the perfect things can be two things illustration that gets used in the TSS school of TSSing. Maybe this is TSS 101, right? It, it, Graham, you mentioned Spain's possession not really leading to a whole lot for most of this game. And that was the theme. I thought this was the the worst they'd looked on the ball in the entire tournament so far. And I would include that 4-0 loss to Japan where Nodding. there were real chances Nodding. there. They just got buried in the in the story of that game by Japan doing something that we've all never seen before and scoring in every touch in the box and in the entire match or whatever it was, right? So Spain weren't great on the ball, but Graham, there you mentioned how Sweden was trying, really trying to force the ball away from Abaera in the middle of midfield for Spain. So she's that that number six, that deep lying player for Spain in the midfield. And in Sweden, defending in their 4-4-2 block, they had Aslani as the first player that was responsible for Abaera 
she wouldn't track her all the time. Like she would also step forward at times to press one of the center backs in Sweden would have Blackstinius and Eslani press up against Spain's back too. And in that moment, you think, okay, well now Abeira is going to be open and they can bounce the ball into her maybe after a quick pass to a fullback or a number eight dropping in. That's not really what happened in this game. And credit to Sweden for how they defended. They've shown throughout this tournament a real willingness, Sweden, to push their wide midfielder inside. Like to take to take Rolfo in this game in particular from the left wing and move her all the way inside. And it, was, it wasn't Blackstinius that would drop when Aslani would push up. It was Rolfo who would pinch inside to mark Abayera. And so basically Spain had a really hard time of ever truly working the ball through the base of midfield. And the couple of moments that they did throughout this match, you could see the game open up. Like you'll be two touches later and all of a sudden the ball is in the final third. But credit to Sweden on one hand for making it difficult for Spain to play through really the player that they want to in Abayera at the base of midfield. But also Spain do deserve blame here because they weren't very sharp with their touches. Alexia Puteas, I didn't think was very good in this game. She didn't start the last match. She came on in extra time. She starts this game and comes off in the 57th minute for Paraluelo, excuse me, easy for me to say. And and so, you know, Puteas wasn't incredibly sharp. Olga, I thought, made some really poor decisions in terms of her shot selection. So there were kind of black marks through a number of, of Spanish players here, but also Sweden do deserve credit for how they approach this game defensively. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig further into this game. We're going to look where the Spanish team are going to go from here and much more back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show's Women's World Cup Daily Semi-Final Edition. Taylor, some context around this Spanish victory. Uh, 15 days ago it was when they were beaten 4-0 by Japan. They'd only won one of seven World Cup games before 2023 coming into this tournament. And of course, 15 players pulled out of training. Uh, they, they didn't like the coach's method, Jorge Vilda's methods. Three of them returned to training, including uh, Tania Bonmati. But uh, apparently I was reading some Spanish fans and pundits were actually not wanting some Spanish success here because all the issues behind the scenes between some of the players and the coach. So with the context with of the disharmony coming into this tournament, it is impressive that they are in the final now. I think especially impressive within the like from the context of that 4-0 loss to Japan that Joe already mentioned that you mentioned there as well, Ryan, that I think there's other teams that could have crumbled after that or it could have really shaken their confidence. It could have given them a sense of like vulnerability that there's always uh, an opportunity to take advantage or to make them pay. And I, I felt like they made uh, good adjustments. Jorge Vilda uh, dropping Alexia Puteas, uh, moving Jennifer Hermoso into a more 
midfield, advanced midfield, but still more involved in there to, I think, help facilitate possession, keep the ball, keep it moving. Uh, and, and it felt like that gave them more cover. It gave them more, a more of a solid presence through the midfield and has sort of limited the effectiveness of counterattacks since then, which is why I was really surprised to see her, uh, Alexia Puteas, start this game. I was really su- surprised to see uh, Hermoso start as the number nine, even though she was wearing the number 10. And I agree with Joe. I don't think Puteas made much of a difference. I thought she was pretty wasteful on the ball. She coughed it up pretty cheaply on a couple different occasions. Part of that is probably from the way Sweden were defending. So credit where credit is due. But I then think the uh, inclusion or the substitution of uh, Parayuelo, uh, once again, having a massive impact. She has been my sort of breakout star of this tournament with the goal she scored, but also just how lively she looks, how she always looks capable of causing problems, of creating confusion in the defense, and of keeping balls alive that seem like they're done. Uh, she did that a couple different times in this second half cameo, but I really liked her playing centrally. We've usually seen her out on the wing, and it felt like once you put her up top and you dropped her most so deeper, now you have a player who can stretch the back line, who can make that back four of Sweden very uncomfortable because she is so quick and so good on the ball, but then if she's uh, like dropping them back or forcing them back a little bit. Now you're just creating those spaces where the midfield can operate. And we know that Spanish midfield can can pick out passes once they have a little bit more time. And and I think that was a very smart substitution. So this is a, a Spain team that, despite all the issues you mentioned, have sort of figured things out and improved as the tournament has gone on. And in this game, I, I think it's another example where some of the substitutions have that big impact and that they're able to get through against a Sweden team that very well could have advanced uh, uh, if this is played on another day. So credit where credit is due, even if maybe some of the uh, the Spanish press and Spanish players don't want to give that credit. Yeah, Paruelo is just such a lightning rod for this team. Like the way that she comes off the bench and brings something yeah. different. What Spain missed in this game, I felt, was like that little bit of dynamism, right? That I think is a criticism often that we have of teams that really try to control the ball. And everything that they do is centered around trying to have possession or win it back quickly. And the counterpress for Spain was very good in this game. They gave Sweden nothing on the break, and that's the other side of this things-can-be-two-things situation. Sweden's defense was was good. Spain were error-prone. You flip it around, Sweden's counterattacking play was a little error-prone, and Spain's counterpress was very good. And so you get both of those pieces to this puzzle. But Paruelo is so good at adding just that little extra bit of gas, right? Like, she just puts the, the Spain's foot down that little bit more on the gas pedal and gives them a little more drive. She, in this game, she's so quick to everything. She's so quick to react, even on the goal, right? The ball comes in from Hermoso in the half space, and then it's a, a little flick. Well, it's not really a flick. It's Anderson who can't deal with the ball at the back post as Navarro tries to come inside and make that run in from the right wing. And, and Paruelo reacts so fast. Like, she hits it first time, scores with the right foot and scores, and it's 1-0 Spain in that moment. I thought that was going to be game over, given the lack of attacking yep. fireworks we'd seen. It wasn't, but things still worked out for Spain. And this doesn't happen. I'm, I'm convinced this doesn't happen without that sub coming in off the bench. That's two games in a row that Paruelo has completely come in and flipped the script and done something incredibly impactful for the Spain team. She just gives them di- a bit of directness, right? That's yep. that's the difference that she makes. She kind of reminds me of, obviously, 
Spanish teams going back to looking at the men's Spanish team that won, won the World Cup in 2010. She reminds me a little bit of the role that Pedro would play for Barcelona. I'd say Palo Wejo is, is a little bit more technical and can beat a defender in a way that Pedro uh, never could for Barcelona and Spain. But nonetheless, just having that little bit of directness, she must be an absolute nightmare for opposition defenders who are tiring late in a match. And that's where I'm a little bit conflicted in my thoughts because you see her make the impact in the last two games that she, she has had. And instinctively you think, okay, we'll start her. But she's decided games as an impact sub in the second half where the, the game state is maybe to, to, to her advantage. It suits her. So, so I don't know. I'd maybe, I maybe wouldn't start her for the final and I'd continue with using her off the bench. Oh, Taylor, would you, do you think she's earned a start in this one, in the final? I mean, I, I think she's worked in both situations. She starts against Switzerland, which obviously went quite well for Spain, but that might have been more about the Swiss and their lack of ability in that one versus anything that one individual player was doing. But I think the way she comes on and, and just immediately she draws a foul for a free kick right at the top of the box, then she has the moment where she keeps the ball alive and knocks it back to, I believe that's Caldente, who has like the shot on the ground that goes just wide. JP camera for a moment thought it went in and called it a goal, which was very confusing to me. Um, and then she has the goal itself. So I feel like she can be that difference maker. The only thing I would say and reason why I won't expect her to start is because this Spain team does not seem to be able to switch styles or tempos. I think it's either possession and controlled and move the ball up the way you want to move the ball up and then get the opportunities that you want to get where you get them, or it's throw numbers forward, be aggressive, get the ball in the box, make something happen. And I feel like that's maybe an oversimplification of how they're able to get that first goal. But this is the second time in this tournament that they've gone ahead 1-0 against a, a good team in the knockout rounds, and I've thought... Okay, that's it. They're going to see this game out. They're going to kill the tempo. They're going to possess again. They're going to go back to doing what Spain does. And then they let the other team back in. And both times, they've. it seems like they've been, been unable to go from that sort of change in tempo, that change in style, that change in directness back to a more controlled performance once they've taken the lead. And so I won't be surprised if they approach the final with a goal of controlling the tempo, moving the ball, keeping possession. And then if they have to change it up, they will. In the last two games when Paraluejo's come on, that is essentially Jorge Vilda pushing all his chips into the middle of yeah. the table it, because it is a gamble, right? Because with, with, with Paraluejo on the pitch instead of Pateras... We're, we're not going to be able to do it, are we? <laughs> we're not going to be able to say it in a unified way no, <laughs> between the four of us. It is, it's, it's deceptively difficult. <laughs> yeah, when you it see is. it written down, you go, oh, I can say that, that's easy. Because you think <laughs> the last bit should be Ho, like, like, a, like a J instead of... like, a, but it's, No, it's another L. Anyway, Paraluejo um, yeah, in the place of Pateas, Spain do concede a bit of control. They're defensively not as resolute. They're, they're not as mobile in that central area. And that in itself opens up the match. But it's a way of backing yourself to have that attacking quality to make more of your moments against England. I mean, I know, well, Lauren James will be back if they make the final. If it is England in the final, she will be back. They do have difference makers in Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Alessio Russo. I don't know. It's it, it's just it's just a real gamble every time Spain play that card, but it's worked so far, and I'm enjoying it. Para yellow is that what we're going with? Para yellow. Para I would yellow. say para yellow is how I would go. Okay, we're not reaching consensus on this one, <laughs> no. Taylor. Can I make a, a a comparison with this Spanish team with another historic men's team? I'm not sure how we feel about this, but Man United under Fergie, not just for here coming back with a late result, but what I noticed was a lot of the 
poophousery, but also complaining quite a lot to referees when poophousery was put upon them. It was very niggly and very, a lot of uh, that kind of complaining went down, I felt. Is that fair to say, Taylor? That they are similar to Alex Ferguson's Manchester United? No, because that team never made any mistakes and was perfect. Uh, But I I would say, I, I hear where you're coming from, that there was a lot of... It was interesting to me reading some of the the like Reddit comments about this game and how much, if you watched it from a Spanish perspective, you felt like Sweden were deliberately fouling, deliberately stepping on your players, how physical they were making it. And by contrast, the Swedish response seems to be this ref called nothing except for things for Spain, uh, like whistled for dives, bought into what they were doing, uh, bought into their complaining. So both sides feeling somewhat chagrined. I'll just be honest and say it's not a thing that really stood out to me. I felt like both teams were sort of giving as good as they got. So maybe uh, Joe feels differently about that one. But for me, I think... Like complaining about the officiating is maybe a way to mask that this game wasn't as appealing as people hoped it would be. And so then looking at the officiating and how this game played out from that perspective maybe becomes part of the narrative. I, as a player in any sport that I played growing up, I complained about the refereeing far too much. And so I've made it my mission now in my uh, couch sitting career rather than my playing career to not really pay that much attention to what referees are doing. So honestly, I don't have any thoughts about how this game was officiated or not. I thought the teams did a good enough job themselves of of making it a roller coaster match without the referee really needing to be involved. Um, so there, there's my two cents on the refereeing potential controversy if we are trying to stir one up. Uh, I like Graham, that you're, Graham, your thoughts on this one? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I, I like that you're, um, for context, listen, Graham appears to have gone to answer a phone call, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. That's Joe, fine. I love that you refer to your current era as your couch playing career, by the way. I very much enjoy that. Uh, I say that because my children, just this morning, accused me of being a couch potato because they noticed I've been watching... Uh, World Cup games every day for the past month or so, which I didn't know how I felt about that. No offense um, to your kids, Ryan. Are they just now noticing this, or or, or yeah. okay, not fair like, enough. Open your eyes, guys. Come on, <laughs> I've been, been here for weeks, guys. <laughs> Joe, uh, if we could talk about Sweden a little bit more, perhaps. Uh, yeah. they've now lost back-to-back World Cup semi-finals. As we mentioned earlier on, they were hitting Spain pretty hard on transition. Uh, they they seem to be playing the game on their terms. Spain was struggling to break break down their lines and restricting them pretty well. We have to give them credit for this performance, don't we? Yeah, I think so. I think so, 100%. And the road to get here for Sweden wasn't an easy one either, right? They had to take down some impressive teams to get through the United States, who were not impressive at this tournament, but have a lot of talent to get through Japan. And now to get through, or to to nearly get through the Spain team, I thought that this one could have gone either way. And I think Graham expressed that well at the beginning, right? It's hard to say the better team really won. Now, I'll admit the team that I enjoy watching more did advance to the final. I don't particularly enjoy a lot of how Sweden try to go about winning games, but it's hard to argue with its effectiveness, right? I I went through some of the the intricacies of their defensive shape early on. I think they do a lot of good things without the ball. On the ball, I, I wasn't as impressed with them in this game, maybe as some others, but in general, they do about enough to keep themselves in every game. And and they were one of the teams, along with Australia, in these final four that kind of have that desire. Like, they have that blueprint to say, okay, we're not really going to be the protagonist here. We are going to play against the ball mostly. We'll press some, and they did press some in this game, try to cause Spain some problems. But really, we're going to sit back in our, our pretty detailed mid-block. We're going to try to win the ball, and we're going to try to attack in transition and on set pieces. Ultimately, that recipe didn't work out for them, but I think if you if you flip the coin of this game a hundred times, 
Spain maybe win 50 or maybe 51 and Sweden win the other 50 or 49. Like this one was about as close as you can get to a 50-50 kind of result. I do think just one, one point of irony. I do think it is a little bit funny. Apologies to any Swedish folks listening to this, that it was a set piece that eliminated Sweden after yeah. all of the discussion and, and how genuinely good they are in set pieces. It's not a, a lump the ball into the box and head it home kind of set piece. It's a short ball and a, a lovely finish in the 89th minute or more of a medium ball on the floor to Carmona who gets on the ball, controls it with the right foot and then steps forward and, and rifles it into the back of the net with her left off the underside of the crossbar. I just thought that was like a, a tied a nice little bow on this Sweden team. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that was a very fitting end for them. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything Joe said uh, to add a little bit more to it. I think Gerhardsen made smart changes in this one because it's it's a it's a great ball in uh it's a great little moon ball for the for the equalizer and then it's lena hertig who had just come on winning the header and it's a really well cushioned header to bloomquist who then finishes well she was also a substitute so we, we saw sweden executing their game plan until they concede and then once they conceded they're able to change gears and and find another level and have those substitutions truly matter and make an impact i think that then informs how much i appreciate this spain team because as we've already talked about this very easily could have gone to extra time and maybe penalties if you're spain at that point i can see how you'd feel rattled how you'd want to just sort of get to extra time then you have that break you can reset you can figure things out a little bit and then you can can try to control the game a little bit more and i'm not sure this is the case because we get the replays and basically once we come out of replays the ball is already back uh underway but the way it seems to me is that from kickoff when it's one to one spain go pretty much pretty aggressively forward and it and that's how we get to the corner that they end up scoring off of so to me it's spain not sitting back, not being content to take this to extra time, but instead really pushing to try to find a way to win. And it ends up being that lovely hit from Carmona. I really think when the ball going off the underside of the bar and then the ground and back up into the top netting is oh, yeah. the most aesthetically pleasing goal you can score in soccer. And we had sort of a warning of this in the 19th minute. Uh, Carmona cuts inside, has a shot that goes like just wide of the far post. Really close, really good effort there. Uh, Joe, I think you said earlier you weren't impressed by her uh, shot selection or maybe some yeah. of her shot selection, but yeah. I think those two moments stood out to me as a warning of what could come, and then the goal itself was uh, was pretty well taken. Pretty well taken. It was indeed. I saw some criticism of the goalkeeper in that instance, but if you look again, like the very poor sight lines in that instance, and it sort of, yeah. I, I don't attribute too much to the keeper there. Graham, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and also, as Taylor says, if a goal goes in off the underside of the bar, I can't criticise it. It's instantly one of the best goals of the tournament. I did think it was quite ironic. Joe used the word ironic there to describe how this how this match kind of panned out. But all three goals, so the, the winning goal comes from, as Joe mentioned, a, a set piece against Sweden. Even the, the, the first Spanish goal comes from like a ball into the area it's not a set piece but nonetheless it's the sort of situation that Sweden all the way through the tournament have have dealt well with and then up the the Sweden equalizer as well Spain up until that point had I thought played a really well measured defensive game or not a defensive game but the defensive side of their game had been well, well measured but I thought the defending in that moment was pretty atrocious where Sweden have just brought on Hertig who her, her whole game is really about aerial prowess and aerial ability and so the, the whole plan from Sweden if it, if it wasn't already this was to get balls into the box and then play from her and the pre the, the lack of pressure on the cross into the, the Sweden pet this the Spain penalty area excuse me 
was just kind of like unforgivable. Like they just let the ball be flipped in there. Okay, then Hertig wins the aerial duel and it falls to, is it Blankvist, who, who by the way, yeah. that finish is excellent, side foot, um, half volley. But she has got so much time and space yeah, no to eight yards out from goal to finish that off. And it just kind of felt like Spain had at that point given up on defending a matter of minutes away from a world, <laughs> their first ever World Cup final. It just felt like a very confusing moment. It did indeed. All right. Well, Spain are going to face either England or Australia in Sydney on Sunday. Of course, we will have a show thereafter. Saturday, meanwhile, in Brisbane, the third place playoff game. Not going to watch that, personally. Anyone else going to watch that? I'd actually completely forgotten. At the start of the show, I was going to say there's only two games left, forgetting there's actually three games left. We know know Graham is sick and he watched the third place game of the previous World Cup. Graham, tell the people that's what you did. You did it, didn't you? Yeah, Graham is sick, so, so we all He's know that Graham watch will watch it, it and none of the rest is. of us will, and Graham will talk about it for <laughs> oh. two minutes, and then we'll all be covered. It's on at nine o'clock on a Saturday, I'm going to end up watching that, there's nothing else on TV at that time. Is oh, that our gosh. Saturday Kitchen, Ryan? And we both know Saturday Kitchen's bad. Or, or know, like outside. Or active social well. yeah. or, do, <laughs> or do anything else at all, yeah, there's, there's other options. I, I don't suppose. have any friends. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that that was, oh, it's on at nine on a Saturday. Have to not, watch it. Like I've got, I've got so much stuff going. Ah, Saturday night, that's a tough one. But it was instead like, ah, oh, that's ideal. Graham, Graham, Graham. Oh no. Well, there you go. Uh, Sweden taking on Australia, hopefully on Saturday morning, and Graham will be watching that. We may not, but we will be talking about the other semi-final. We're going to do some VSPs after this quick break. Back shortly. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. 
Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily Semi-Final Edition. We go now to have a little look at Wednesday's game between Australia, the co-hosts, and England. A first World Cup final awaits for either team here, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Which it gone be? I think it's going to be a very interesting game in the way that this was an interesting game. I could see it Uh-oh. being a very slow, hesitant, neither team wants to overcommit, neither team wants to get uh, caught out or make an obvious mistake. And as a result, I could see both teams making mistakes and it being a sort of physical back and forth, at least for the first half. But with that said, I think England also have the capability of being a very aggressive attacking uh, team that can be very talented and create opportunities and score goals. I think Australia can be a very strong defensive team who can then hit on the break and counter effectively uh, and also hang with the physicality and also capitalize on set pieces. So it's another game that could be really captivating in an exciting and entertaining way. It could also be Mm -hmm. really captivating for who's going to break first, who's going to be punished by an individual mistake or a a, a couple individual mistakes. So I, I think that is sort of where I would set the table. And then I would say, I think there's some individual matchups that I I find particularly compelling. But I've been talking plenty, so I'll turn it to my other co-host to add some context here. I am really looking forward to this one. I'm not convinced we're going to get a footballing spectacle with lots mm-hmm. of goals and attacking action. I think it could be a bit of a, a slog. I think this one could be decided by one goal or even, or even a shootout. But... Uh, and Joe's going to love this chat because this is very intangible, non-football stuff. But it's a host Who's going to want it more, Graham? Who's going to want it more? <laughs> Who's got more passion? Ho- <laughs> yeah, there's going to be lots of passion, Joe. No, I but seriously, a it's call. a host nation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a host nation at their own World Cup playing a fierce rival who just so happened to be the European champions. It feels like England have been gearing up to this tournament. This is the World Cup they've been targeting for a number of years. There will be 80,000 fans inside this stadium. I believe a number of stadiums across the country in Australia will, will also have big screens. I, I write a, a weekly column for, for Optus Sport, who are sort of like the uh, Australian ESPN or you know Sky Sports or whatever. And uh, my editor there was saying that all of Australia is just obsessed with the Matildas at the moment. He says it's Why now you on obsessed a scale of... obsessed or just of, obsessed? Obsessed. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Uh, He says it's like on a scale of when Australia hosted the Olympics or something like that. So even if it is a dull match, there will be something to enjoy about it. Just before we started recording, I saw a news article that the Daily Telegraph, not the British paper, there's an Australian paper called the Daily Daily Telegraph as well. They'd sent a helicopter to England training to get pictures of England training and then sent the pictures to... Yeah, it's Bielsa in the helicopter. They hired him out. Did they, oh, so, Graham, did they say, you call that a drone? This is a drone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that kind of gives you an idea of what this match is going to be like. I think there could be a red card or two in this match. It feels like it could sort of be that kind of game. So I am looking forward to it, but not necessarily for football reasons. I'm, I'm getting uneasy because it feels like all of us, and, and maybe Ryan because he's cynical when it comes to England, are edging towards Australia in this game. I I said that Taylor edging. When, when we did when we did the most recent show Taylor just you and I I don't honestly don't remember when that was cuz the days are running together. We talked about how this game in Australia in particular was probably a bad matchup for England, a team that's going to sit deep, an England team that's going to end up with control which they're not opposed to, but it's a lot harder to impact a game and really create chances with possession when your top like three attacking players, at least you know out wide and, and through the middle, thinking about Lauren James and, and all the other injuries that have happened for this England team before the World Cup, are unavailable, right? So 
I think England, and, and this will tie in with my VSP later on, I think they will have a really hard time breaking through Australia to the point where I, I'll be more surprised if this is like kind of an open game with fireworks than it, if it if it isn't, right? I think it's going to be pretty dull, and I hope there are some red cards maybe to spice things up a little bit because I think England are going to have a really hard time breaking through. I don't know, Ryan. Oh, oh Taylor's got his hand up. Ryan, yeah. I want to know Ryan's thoughts too. I guess I I, I want to toss it out to the group. I think I, I think I agree with everything you said, Joe. And I think even if like it's one-to-one in the first 15 minutes, I don't think that's going to be indicative of an open game. I think it's going to be indicative of England scored, Australia went the other way, got a set piece and scored off of it or scored off of a cross into the box. I don't see this being an expansive game of football. I think if it's wide open, I think England win this one pretty comfortably. I think what we've seen in this tournament, though, is that when you give England the ball and you do a good job of your defensive positioning and marking and tracking, uh, they can still be very good and they can still create, but they can also start to get a little bit anxious, I feel like, in, like, we're dominant, we should be doing things. And I think you'll see players start to take risks that maybe they're not supposed to or maybe don't put them in the best positions. And I do agree with Joe. I think that plays into Australia's strengths, especially on the counter. Uh, so I, I think this one will be a cagier game because England, I think, will feel like they are the favorites. But at the same time, they're going to be in a stadium that's going to be aggressively hostile to them. I think that changes the energy and the and the calculations a little bit. But then I think Australia also will be backed by that crowd, will be anytime they go forward, you know it's going to be like a, a next level intensity from the atmosphere. So I, I just think it's poised to be a really interesting game, but that could be positive or negative uh, in terms of what I mean by interesting. Yeah. I think I retend everything you said. I, I, a triple X. I re 10 all of you. I'm not sure <laughs> how we're going to say that. But uh, re 30. Think... <laughs> it, it has to be re 30, right? Re 30. Uh, but like pound for pound, dollar do for dollar do. I think, England had this one on paper quite clearly. But as you said, there's lots of intangibles here. The co-host is going to make a hostile atmosphere. I think it's going to be like a goal settling this one. Let's make sure we isolate that piece of audio. Pound for pound, England have this one quite clearly. Ryan Bailey saying that. Let's just make sure we pull that just in case things go a different I thought you were going to say dollar do for dollar do because that's the part that I liked most in that bit. Do you not agree, Tater? I mean, in terms of talent, right? Yeah, I mean, in terms of talent, yeah, Obviously, there's talent all across this Australian team. You've got Kerr, Kerr and Fowler potentially up top. It's going to be oh no, that could be devastating. Obviously, I agree with that. What I'm saying is that if you need locker room material, if you need like take it out of context, that that sounds supremely confident. When in reality, I know you're not saying yeah. that for me. Like we've got this game, we're the better team. But just take it out of context. You could very much make it sound like that's what you're advocating. Okay, pin that up in the dressing room alongside the helicopter picture. Yeah, exactly. And, and the belief side. Yeah, there very go. good. One thing I'm looking forward to, Graham, is. Uh, the fact that Rasso and Russo are going to be on the same field. I'm oh, looking no. forward to the uh, Australian commentary team. Oh, Rasso taken by Rosso. Back to Rasso. It's going to be uh, wild, in my opinion. You're going to seek that out because obviously we won't get this during commentary. You're going to find a stream of VPN and, and seek that out. I, I will. I will. They could they could occupy the same flank in theory at multiple occasions. So could I'm do. looking forward to that. That should be yeah. good. I am. Um, I I wouldn't start Sam Kerr in this match which is a sentence I, I never thought I'd, I'd say after the first match where her absence was very keenly felt but I think Tony Gustafsson has done a really good job of working out a formula that not only works for this team without care but in terms of the matchup I think probably suits Australia against England I'm not saying care can't play any role in this game but I think using her as an impact sub in the second half like 
Australia did in the quarterfinal against France, where she does she does play 60 minutes of, by going into extra time as well and then sticks away a penalty. I think that's probably the best idea. idea. I would be reluctant to disrupt the formula that Australia have built over the course of the tournament. Which, of course, means they will start Sam Kerr now. But uh, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you, Graham. Uh, not least because we've seen... Uh, this happened uh, on the men's and women's side in tournaments past. Uh, if you have a star player who is maybe coming back from injury, not fully fit, not fully ready to go, or just doesn't have that sharpness and you put them in to start the game, if they don't have that sharpness, if they're not at that level, then you're automatically sort of hurting your overall gameplay to put this player in who can be that influential. But you're also kind of guaranteeing a midway through the second half substitution or you just play with a tired player who's not sharp enough as the game goes on. But then you're taking off your talismanic striker that the entire team sort of looks to in big moments in the second half. And I think that can be a negative tone to set. So I I fully agree with you. I think you give Sam Kerr 30 minutes and you hope that that game is still nil nil or you hope that maybe you're up one nil and you're seeing the game out and then she can come in and have that impact and be that threat that England have to con- consistently pay attention to. So uh, I, I this is the a strange position to be in, to be okay with Sam Kerr not starting. But I think I agree largely that what Australia has done has worked. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just to take up the contrary point of view quickly, I would do whatever the thing is that gets Sam Kerr on the field. So I think that means starting Sam Kerr. I recognize but- that, that maybe that disrupts some recipes here, but I think I think you got to do whatever you can to get her on the field for 60 or 75 minutes versus if you bring her off the bench in the 60th minute, you know, you're only you're only getting 30 out of her. But don't we have like the perfect case study of how that isn't always the best approach with the game we've just talked about with Alexis Pateras, who is the two-time Ballon d'Or winner. We just spoke about her and not having a good game. I don't think she's had a good tournament. You put her in this team, it feels like the balance of the Spain team is disrupted with putting Jennifer Hermoso further forward. She's played better in a deeper role. So obviously the two cases are different, but... I don't necessarily agree with the principle that because your star player is your star player, you have to force her into the team. Yeah, in I, I agree. I don't think it's a it's a generalization. I think it is case by case. And I think the difference for me with this is Sam Kerr isn't going to be on the ball as much, right? She's not the one controlling so much of the flow of the game. And so I don't think you lose as much with a, a little bit of rust that might have to come off by starting her up top where realistically she's going to hold the ball up here and there. She's not going to be on the ball a ton and then you're going to rely on her in the final third to really finish off an attack or two. I think you lose less with some potential rust up front, at least given how we think this game might go, than you do with a Buteas in midfield. I can see arguments on either side. I'm just I'm just sort of setting out my stall. If I'm you know leading this game, if I'm leading Australia, I'm going to give Stam Kerr a start as long as she's healthy. And that's another X factor. We still don't really know what her fitness levels are. So I guess we'll have yeah. to find out tomorrow morning. Well, morning for the, me, afternoon, and some random time for everybody else who knows. <laughs> the easy decision for Gustafsson is to start Sam Kerr, right? That's how he spares himself any criticism because criticism because if Australia even lose, if they lose this game and Sam Kerr starts, he's not going to be targeted for that. Whereas if she starts on the bench and they lose, then everyone is going to use that as a stick to beat him with. So I could understand why he would, why he would start Sam Kerr, but it's not the decision I'd make. All right. Uh, One thing left to do in this episode, that is our very specific predictions for this final semi-final. Final semi-final? Sure. Graham, your prediction. Okay, so my VSP is that Mary Fowler will have more shots than any other Australian player. I think she's going to be key 
to this match for them. She's grown with every match that she's played at this World Cup. Started off as sort of a centre forward. Now she's dropping back into those pockets of space. And I see a weakness for England in not knowing when to pass on players in between the defence and, and the midfield. I think about how, was it Pernille Harder in the Denmark game was having a lot of joy in those areas. And even if Kerr features, I don't think it will be... Mary Fowler, who has sacrificed. Uh, Caitlin Ford is averaging more shots shots per game than Fowler at this tournament, but I think Fowler will be really productive here. So, Graham, boldly going with Australia's main striker to have the most shots, right? Like she did That's last Emily. game, yes. Such such <laughs> a such a, a bold and and uh, and really just heroic prediction okay, from so Graham. So brave. Australia so played, brave. Australia pl- Australia have played five matches at this World Cup and that was literally the only time that Fowler has had more shots. The, the reason that I think it'll happen again is that this feels like a similar matchup for Australia to the quarterfinal against France. So I'm kind of using that to project how this, this match will go. And is that not the point of very specific predictions or like is the whole game to now predict something that has never happened before? In which case, I predict that Mary Earps is going to do a Rennie Higita scorpion kick save. No, I, you know, I think... Right. Like, I mean, it, it you know, happen. I think a more courageous people person could have uh, could have given us a specific number that she's going to hit. See, the thing is, you have all got in my head. Do you know I've not picked up? I've not picked up a point since the group stage because I keep going to things that oh, that's something that can't ha- can't have happened before. So I need to get points on the board. Damn it! Oh, okay. So at least you're admitting your strategy now. Very good, Joe Lowry. Your uh, your prediction. All right. So first, I want to make sure everybody knows I did get my VSP for the Spain game correct. Boy. So Taylor, you and I talked about how there could be a, a large number of of kind of weak side runs coming in from the wingers for Spain. We saw it against the Dutch. Sweden defend narrow narrowly at times, and and I, I talked about that earlier. There were three. The first half was really quiet, and I got worried and kind of forgot about my VSP. Then the 70th minute, the 74th, and the 81st. It's in the Discord as well with a little bit more detail than that. But uh, it seems like it's going to be a close race for all of us heading into the final couple of games. So I'm very excited to see who comes out on top. My VSP for this game, England against Australia. England will have no more than 18 touches in Australia's 18-yard box in the opening 90 minutes, right? I'm not I'm not messing around with extra time here. Insert, you know, out of context quote here, whatever. They had 18 touches, England, in the 18 against Colombia in the quarterfinals in 90 minutes. Their overall tournament average is 23 touches in the attacking box per 90. Still no Lauren James coming into this game. I'm thinking, and we kind of just talked about this, England are still going to have a hard time creating. So England will again be under their tournament average and right around that same level they were against Colombia, where, frankly, they, they weren't very good in the attack. Australia might try to wrestle a little bit of control away from England, maybe more so than Colombia did, who were very slow to push numbers forward. But I'm saying 18 touches or fewer in Australia's box for England. Yeah, uh, which, which fits well into my existing prediction for this game, which is that Alex Greenwood will have the most touches of any player on the pitch because I think England will move the ball around that back three. Yeah. I think Greenwood is the one who's going to be tasked with passing forward, carrying forward, and also just putting your foot on the ball, trying to figure out some way through. Uh, and then the other one I would add to this, uh, from the Australia perspective, I think Caitlin Ford will create at least two uh, clear-cut chances. I'm going with the Fat Mob chances created number. Uh, because I think if Australia is going to create, it's going to be on the break with either uh, Ford or Rosso kind of bombing down the wing, looking for balls into the box or hitting big crosses in. Uh, and I feel like Ford is the more likely to do that successfully. I think Rosso has has been good, but also I think is really good for her defensive energy and her work rate. Uh, but against, uh, who who was England playing last? Colombia, there it is. Um, it felt like that left side for Colombia was an area where they could sort of get at England because Lucy Bronze is going to be so committed to the attack. It leaves Jess Carter there sort of, 
in a in an isolated pocket of space. And I feel like Caitlin Ford, if she can take advantage of that space, will be able to kind of get into these 1v1 battles or some foot races. And I think she's going to create two chances. Very nice. Okay, my VSP for this one is that Rachel Daly will have more shots than any other England midfielder or defender. So basically more shots than anyone outside of the front three, which is probably Rousseau, Hemp and Toon. Uh, she'll be playing in a... Uh, a left wing back or a left back position depending on the formation I think it'd probably be a back three in this one she had three shots against Colombia she had three against Nigeria two against China I think as Taylor mentioned for the Australians it's going to be similar here with a lot of England play coming through the flanks and her, her maybe cutting in and getting a few shots here and I think this game might be low on shots in general but for me Rachel Daly is going to have more than any other midfielder or defender. I I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not quibbling. I'm genuinely confused. You said front three, and you included Tune in there. Do you? I, I feel like I, I feel like if I'm labeling it, I would go with like a three, four, one, two, and I would usually put that would then mean Tune classified as a midfielder. Ryan, do you feel like because she's that more attacking midfielder, you consider her an outright attacker? Yes. Would you like me to take her out of that equation? I was just, no, I was just curious because for a minute I was like, wait, have they been playing a three, four, three, and now I'm confused. No, no. Uh, so. I, I was mostly just curious. Just for, for reference, I think it was honestly like a 3-1-6 in the last game. Not that this matters, and I'm guessing we're boring people at this point, but it was Kira Walsh, and we talked about this, Taylor, as a single pivot with Tune and Stanway, both as number eights, like kind of ahead of her. Think about how the Dutch played in this in this competition at times. And then you would have uh, Russo and Hemp even higher up. So lots of numbers forward for England. Okay, I, I'm happy to adjust to just uh, outside of Rousseau and Hemp that she'll get more shots than... T- so I'll take tune out of that. I'm happy oh. to make that concession. Deal. Show. We'll take it. Yes. Fine. Yeah, fine. Take it. <laughs> Not what I was going for, but I will take that. Can we squeeze <laughs> a Lauren Hemp out of you, Ryan, while we're yeah. at it? Yeah. Can- mm-hmm. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, a truly confident person would say she'll have the most shots of any player on the pitch. I mean, it's up to you, though. You know, whatever you want to do. You pushed if me far enough, you, Taylor. I guess I you don't back England. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if we're clipping up individual out of context terms from this podcast, can we squeeze Lauren Hemp out of Ryan Bailey? Is up there as one of the weirder ones. All right. We'll find out, out in the out of context TSS. We shall. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to check out our Discord where there's plenty of hilarious things going on, such as that. And the tally of our very specific predictions. As Joe said, it's very tight going into the last couple of games in this one. But for now, we have woke up daily. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for doing your thing. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, same to you, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always. Right back at you, Ryan. There you go. You're reading off the script still. Very well done, Joe. Thank you very much. Listener, thank you for joining (laughs) us on this one. We'll be back with England versus Australia reaction tomorrow. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.